I think in contrast to my opponent, we're really hitting all the corners of the district and we'll have information up on the website, chad101.com, where you can check out the events that are happening near you. That was the voice of Chad McAvoy running in the 101st Assembly District. We'll be hearing more from Chad later in the show and we'll be speaking with youth activist Iris Gillingham here on Spotlight 19. My name is Justin Tracy. Welcome to the show. This is the podcast tracking John Faso and all things New York Congressional District 19, including the down-ballot races. We're back with a great show for you today. We'll go through some updates from the Delgado campaign. We'll talk about Faso's campaign. And after that, Saja will be talking with youth climate change and environmental activist Iris Van Gillingham from Sullivan County. Then an interview with Chad McAvoy, candidate for the 101st Assembly District. Turning to the Delgado campaign, Antonio opened an office in Hyde Park last week. This is significant since Faso actually closed the office in Hyde Park on day one of his term. The crowd for Antonio was actually so large that they couldn't let everyone in, which is a promising sign for him. There isn't the same enthusiasm for the Faso campaign, which uses no video from events, and none of his events are posted in advance, similar to the way Faso runs his congressional office. Faso is doing a lot of appearances in GOP-friendly places. The House of Representatives is on recess, so Faso has been exclusively campaigning over the past few weeks. Faso actually did post recently about a train derailment in Deposit, New York, as did Antonio. Now, this train was carrying solid waste and derailed because of one of the culverts on the train track had washed out. This washing out happened because of large amounts of rain this region has been receiving recently. Deposit had actually declared a state of emergency because of the flooding before the derailment. Faso is making it appear like he is concerned about the derailment, which affects the Delaware River's health, because some of the cars have spilt diesel into the river. Yet Faso hasn't spoken out against the Trump administration's assault on climate change research and the EPA. This is a perfect segue to Sarge's interview with Iris Gillingham, one of New York 19's most prominent environmental activists. Today, we have with us Iris Ben Gillingham. She is a regional youth director for Earth Guardians Rise Youth Council. She's also an organizer with Zero Hour, and she really represents what the best of what New York 19 has to offer. Uh, she grew up on a farm in Sullivan County, and we're really thankful that you're speaking with us today. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about Zero Hour and how you got involved with that initiative for our listeners who may not know about it. Yeah, definitely. So Zero Hour is a youth organization that focuses on bringing awareness 
around climate change and saying that this is zero hour to take action because our lives literally depend on it. And this past uh, month in July, we had uh, a weekend of action in Washington, D.C., and that was kind of the kickoff of uh, many campaigns that we'll then be working on in the future. So we had a lobby day um, where we actually had 180 youth lobbying our senators and speaking with them, asking them to sign the Sunrise Movement a No Fossil Fuel Money Pledge, agreeing that they will stop taking money from the fossil fuel industry in their campaigns and uh, in their work. And then we also had a art festival to have young people use their creativity, talk about solutions, and then a march. And uh, the march we had, it ended up being a downpour, and there was flash flood warnings, and still a 1,000 people showed up. And we wow. had all of these local indigenous youth that opened up the space. We had speakers with incredible stories to tell, and we actually had um, the band Dispatch played and uh, Naco and Medicine for the People, along with some other local artists. And it was just an incredible feeling of being part of this movement. But really what we were uh, trying to do with these actions was to highlight youth voices and to uplift the stories of the young people and young people in communities that are being directly impacted by climate change and contributors to climate change, like fossil fuel extraction, our food system, and really highlighting that our lives are at stake here. And as young people, we're not going to sit around and wait for our leaders to realize this. We're going to remind them that they're responsible and that they now need to take action. Sure, and that's such a worthy cause to be a part of, and I loved seeing all of the photography and videos from that weekend, and that's actually how I read about you, because all of the organizing was featured in the New York Times, which was very cool. And one thing you mentioned was lobbying. Did you guys have any success with lobbying members of Congress to sign on to this type of legislation or campaign pledges to not take fossil fuel money? Well, we talked to 47 different senators, and we met with their aides, and um, we did get to meet with Bernie Sanders. There have already been some um, elected officials who have signed this petition, and you can find their names on the Sunrise Movement's website. We're working hard because our addiction to fossil fuels as people, and that is impacting our communities. And like what just happened along the Delaware River, where I live, um, not too far away in deposit, we had this train that the culvert underneath the tracks ended up washing out due to some of the severe rain we've had. And uh, several of the train cars ended up in the river and started leaking diesel fuel. And so now there are thousands of gallons of diesel fuel in the Delaware River. And for me, that's just heartbreaking because now my friends, myself and my brother and I, we can't go swimming in the Delaware until further notice. And that's how it's impacting my life right now. But these types of things are happening across the world. And it's really about people's lives. Climate change is a social justice issue because it's impacting our communities. And it is something that we cannot ignore any longer. Absolutely. And one thing that struck me about 
your story is that your family farm uh, actually had to deal with a lot of flooding, and that was kind of part of the reason for that train crash. We're actually under a flood watch as we're having this conversation. And as climate change exacerbates, these types of extreme weather events are going to become more and more common. Can you tell us a little bit about how climate change affects you and has affected you growing up um, on a family farm here in our congressional district? Yeah, so as a kid, my family grew organic vegetables for a living. Uh, We had a community-supported agriculture business in CSA, and uh, that was how we made a living. And in the span of five years, we experienced two 100-year floods and one 500-year flood. And when we were hit with the 500-year flood, it washed away all of our topsoil. It uprooted everything that we were growing. It put thousands of dollars worth of equipment underwater. And the 10-acre field that my family grew our vegetables on, it you know, all of the topsoil is really important to farmers, especially vegetable growers. It was washed away. It had a huge impact because it forced my family to stop farming for a living. And that was my first experience with a severe weather pattern and how our weather is changing. And this climate change doesn't mean it's just getting hotter. It means that we're having erratic weather patterns. It means that we're going to have fires that are going to get out of control like we're having right now in California. It means that we're going to have these flash floods. We're going to have these events that are impacting our communities. We're so lucky to have leaders like you kind of leading this fight. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about where people can find out more about some of the initiatives you mentioned, Zero Hour and Earth Guardians. What's the best way to get involved? Yeah, so you can find out more about Zero Hour, um, thisiszerohour.org, which is our website. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, the same with Earth Guardians. You can find us at www.earthguardians.org. And, um, you know, it's Zero Hour. I really encourage you to check it out if you are a young person because uh, both Earth Guardians and Zero Hour actually are ways that young people can plug in in their communities. One of the campaigns that we have right now with Zero Hour is a town hall initiative encouraging young people to go out to their town halls and take actions right in their communities, right? So um, you can also learn more about uh, some of the issues that I was just speaking of and the intersectionality of climate change and young people's lives and our communities by reading the Zero Hour platform, which is this incredible platform that was written by uh, young people and uh, frontline youth of color who are looking at this issue from a different perspective because we haven't been around as long, but we are seeing these issues and how they are having an effect on our everyday life. Sure. That was Iris Ben-Gillingham, who is a youth activist from the district. Thank you again for taking the time to speak to us. And we're looking forward to seeing your work in the future. I know you will go very, very far. You already have done so much. And, you know, we're so proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. We now move to an interview we did a few weeks ago with Chad McAvoy, who is running for assembly in the 101st District. Chad has a catchy campaign jingle. Vote Chad McAvoy, New York District 101. 
need someone in Albany to get us heard for once. Chad will make them listen, cause we can't do it alone. McAvoy's a voice, McAvoy's a voice, McAvoy's a voice to call our own. So today we have with us Chad McAvoy, who is running for New York State Assembly in District 101. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And District 101 has been called the Upstate Catskill Snake and Epileptic Caterpillar. Uh, <laughs> tell us a little bit about you, and then we'll get into this really interestingly shaped district that you are running for assembly for. Yeah. Hi, everyone. So uh, my name is Chad McAvoy, again, running for the 101st Assembly District. Uh, I live in Otsego County. There's four towns in Otsego County that are uh, in the 101st. And like you said, it's a, it's a long, skinny district that's barely more than one town wide anywhere. It connects all the way from the suburbs of Utica to commuter towns in Orange County. And the bulk of it is in the New York 19 uh, geographically, at least, not necessarily by population, but the, geographically, the bulk of it is in the New York 19 Congressional District. We've got a bit of the 22nd at the top and the 18th at the bottom. And it's largely the New York 19 area is small towns like Andes and Delhi, and then a lot of very rural, uh, largely farming communities um, in between. And what actually brought you to this area? Are you originally from here? Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. I grew up in Seattle, actually, uh, but I've been out in upstate New York for something like eight years. We moved to Westford five years ago. Uh, my wife is originally from Cherry Valley, which is one town over, which is, which is how I ended up in the area. She, uh, through her wisdom, talked me into moving to this area, and we, it's, I really love it. It's, Westford is beautiful, and we were able to afford a 200-year-old uh, farmhouse that we've been restoring and a bunch of acreage, about 63 acres of woods and wetlands wetlands and stream and farmland that we've been stewarding and taking care of. And it's been uh, really wonderful and not something you could do if you were living in an urban lifestyle. Great. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about this very fascinating but kind of disconcerting news story that's come up. Uh, your opponent, Brian Miller, actually was petitioning for, I believe, the conservative line, correct? That's right. And uh, it was uncovered actually through a bit of excellent uh, local journalism that some of his signatures were fraudulent. Could you tell us a little bit more about this kind of petitioning scandal? Yeah, well, let's start by just talking about the petitioning process more broadly, which we went out uh, to get on the Democratic Working Families and Women's Equality Party lines. Uh, and we worked really hard. I had uh, about, I know, 100 volunteers coming together to help collect signatures and we got three times the amount necessary to get on the Democratic line. But getting those third party lines like the Working Families Party line, as you probably know, is incredibly difficult, especially when you're in a really rural area like where I live, where there's maybe you know, 12 of them in the entire district in your part of the county. And they live down dirt roads in different places and you don't know when they're going to be home and the phone numbers that you have aren't accurate. So you can't set anything up. So I'm driving personally, driving volunteers around to chase down the, the, the last couple of Working Families Party members' signatures we get to just get over the line to qualify. And then as part of the process, so we 
you you get a copy of your opponent's signatures for the different parties that they're petitioning to be on, and they get a copy of yours, or at least it's public, they can get it if they want. And through what is a pretty standard review, we were looking at his conservative party signatures, and just instantly you could tell that that virtually all or maybe all of the ones collected by one particular person were just obviously forgeries to my mind we're alleging i mean we got to be careful because there is a legal action pending on this um it to if you look at them i think it's obvious human signatures go in different directions when they're from different people and these all look like they're written by the same person then we uh, brought that to the attention of city and state and they looked into it and they were very they they called a few people who were if you read that article very irritated to have had their names uh, forged. They alleged that they were they were completely forged. And it turns out the kid who did this, the, who collected these signatures, uh, just to put a cherry on it, was a paid staffer in um, in Mr. Miller's office. Um, we're not alleging that Mr. Miller told him to go do that, but it is weirdly suspicious that he collected exactly 73 signatures, and which is the amount you need to get on the working families, I mean, the uh, conservative party line. Um, it's strange and disquieting, and it's not fair to both the people whose names were forged, but also to me or my volunteers who worked really hard to do everything right. Um, and it, you know, the incumbent has so many advantages already, and he's just you know, cutting corners. One, it would seem, uh, that's I find quite galling, you know. Sure, and you know, as these legal proceedings kind of make their way through, it could be some time before. Uh, I guess the goal would be eventually for him to get off of the conservative party line, but he will still continue to be your opponent. You right. know, that won't change. It just means he would have one less line on the ballot in November. Yeah, that's true. You know, he could have done the right thing and, and declined the line. It's too late for, I believe, him to do that voluntarily now. He could still stipulate to the court that he thinks it's fair to be removed from that line, and that might make some difference. But we'll see what happens with the lawsuit. In the end, even if he was removed from the conservative party, party line, we would still have a fight on our hands to win the election on the other lines. But it probably doesn't help his case that he's the person to vote for when they, they were going out and cutting corners and cheating to get on the conservative party line. In fact, we've been in touch with conservative party chairs in some of the parts of the, the district who are going to help us get in touch with their party members to make our case because they're disgusted by the whole thing as well. I actually did see that you met with one of the conservative party leaders fairly recently. And... You know, I think that goes to show how you would be as an assemblyman, that you'd be willing and able to talk, uh, work across the aisle. Is that one of the things that you're running on? It has to be. I live in a rural area where the concerns of, of the, the majority of the electorate you know, tend to fall to the right of the spectrum. And those are the people that I need to talk to and I want to talk to and I want to represent their interests. In fact, we're going to uh, launch a campaign to per- have me personally speak to, I hope, thousands of those people that are either unaffiliated or uh, in the conservative party or even left-leaning Republicans who might be having second thoughts about things that are happening on the national and and the state level. And I want to have personal one-on-one conversations with as many of those people as I can, both to 
tell them that it's okay to vote for a Democrat sometimes, but also uh, to listen and, and uh, surface their issues to really understand where they're coming from. Sure. And the Democrats do have a supermajority in the Assembly, in large part to a lot of the districts that are in the city and, you know, in the suburbs of New York City. Why is it important for the Democrats to pick up one seat, especially in your district, which is comprised of mainly rural areas? Yeah. Well, this is a that's that's a very good question. And it is it's it's a funny argument to make because we do have the supermajority. If anything, that majority is going to get wider in the coming election. I hope to be part of that widening to a certain, to a certain degree. But the, um, the key issue here, to my mind, is that the Democratic majority is largely made up of urban and suburban seats. They have, God bless them, there's nothing wrong with that, but that shouldn't be the entire set and range of the voices and opinions that are, that are percolating into the majority legislation that's going to come out of the assembly. And by the way, next year, I think it's entirely probable that we'll flip control of the New York State Senate. We could have a trifecta government and we want, we do not want the rural and small town voices to be completely ignored in the, in the coming cycle. And moreover, the way that these uh, districts work, the districts that are represented in the rural areas by the minority party just don't get as much juice in terms of how much attention and money they can provide for their district. And I think I can get more done in that regard. And I feel like someone who's maybe iffy about voting for Democrats might understand the nature of that argument. And I'll try and make that case that I can get more done than Mr. Millican for the, for the people in our district. As you're going around this vast district, what are what are some of the concerns you're hearing most about? Uh, you know, we heard from some of the campaigns in the congressional race where the candidates were going out to these rural areas and we're hearing about issues like broadband and these family farms that are unable to, you know, continue doing what they've been doing for generations. What are some of the issues that you're hearing about most? Yeah, especially in the center of the district where I live, and I know this personally very well being someone who largely makes his living working from home, from my home office, that the, the internet and the cell phone is just garbage. Like it's just, and it's taking too long to get it done. We have a meeting set up to talk to uh, Microsoft and some other companies about leapfrog technologies that might come along that might help bridge the gap or get us to the next stage. But in the meantime, I'm uh, arguing for any policy solution we think might get us down the road towards getting universal access. But also uh, hear a lot about jobs, like you might imagine, about uh, road infrastructure in addition to the information infrastructure, about the, the water rights issue is in like Delaware County. And they're, they're the sort of issues that come up all the time everywhere, jobs and education and healthcare, But in particular, in the rural areas and the small town areas, they feel that pain even more, in my opinion. Uh, let's talk a l- little bit about the environment, which I think is... Uh is a huge concern for the congressional district, but specifically your assembly district as well, where, you know, there are various watershed issues. Um, Orange County just had this terrible uh, water problem out in Newburgh. And I think there's a lot of concerns um, throughout about additional fossil fuel infrastructure. There's a plan to put a new compressor plant in Otsego County. So where, where do you kind of fall on those issues? And, um, you know, I know that Claudia Tenney, who was the assemblywoman for this district before, had a terrible record on the environment. Um, Brian Miller has not been in office f- for too long to know too much about where he stands on some of those issues. But I imagine yeah, I, uh, I mean, you're I definitely a believe huge contrast to both a, of them. We have to balance the e- 
economic development with environmental protection. Uh, those things have to go hand in hand. We can't have just one or the other. But I consider myself an environmentalist. I'm on the board of Otsego 2000, which is a nonprofit organization that fights to protect the Lake Otsego region in Otsego County. And uh, I find I, I consider myself an environmentalist on the, on the micro level. You know, I've spent the first several years of our uh, after we bought our land in Westford, just cleaning garbage out of the stream that, that and I feel a, a strong sense of stewardship towards my local environment. Uh, and more broadly, um, will do everything in my power, given, given the opportunity I will fight for renewable energy and bringing things like community solar, which I signed my household up for this year to, to our area. Um, and oppose broadly fossil fuel infrastructure development. There's some edge cases, things that are genuine safety upgrades to pipelines and compressor stations that may be reasonable. There may be some need for uh, intermediary steps, but broadly we need to, as swiftly as is prudent, move away from fossil fuel. Uh, and sometimes that means uh, not investing. Well, you, that does mean not investing in the fossil fuel infrastructure expansion whenever possible and moving towards renewables. Sure. And what are some of the events that your campaign has coming up? Where can people meet you and reach you and how can they get involved? Yeah, well, we really could use some volunteer help right now. We've got a giant letter writing campaign coming up. And because of the shape and distribution of this district geographically, we need to get volunteers set up all up and down the length of this 190 mile long gerrymandering monstrosity. Uh, so if people want to get involved, please come to chad101.com and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a conversation and figure out how you can best be of assistance. I've got, we're hustling. I was just talking about how great an environmentalist I am, but we have put 6,000 miles on the pickup truck going up and down the district so far, for which I'm going to make penance uh, by both buying uh, carbon offsets and hopefully passing some environmental protection legislation given the opportunity. But we're really out there hustling. We're going to be um, Montgomery, uh, Warsing. We're all over the place. I think, in contrast to my opponent, we're really hitting all the corners of the district. And we'll have information up on the website, chad101.com, where you can check out the events that are happening near you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to seeing you around the district. Yeah, I'll come back anytime. Thanks for having me. So you heard a little bit about Chad's lawsuit against his opponent, Brian Miller, to get Miller kicked off the conservative line of the ballot because Miller submitted forged signatures. Unfortunately, the lawsuit was dismissed on a technicality for lack of specificity, and Miller will remain on the conservative line on the November 6th ballot. It goes to show how far the GOP has fallen The gracious and ethical thing to do would be to decline the line and own up to the negligence or willful behavior of your campaign. So this wraps up our show. 32nd episode. We'll be back next week with an exciting interview with Jen Metzger, state senate candidate for District 42, and Liam Kahn and Jasmine Kay of Hudson Valley Votes. Keep listening, stay dry, and keep the faith.